Well, last week we began our study in the book of Ruth. Now, we made it up to verse 18 in chapter 1. And if I can give you a brief recap, for Ruth, Elimelech and Naomi left Judah with their kids to go to Moab because there was a famine in, in Judah. And even though they were basically pretty good, from what we can tell, pretty good Jewish people, they, they abide by the laws, they still left where God told them to be, and they went to a place that God actually said, don't go. And I kind of made the reference to that we have to be make, careful about making snap decisions on bad, difficult situations. Because the world is going to offer you something that may seem to be a quick fix for a problem that you're in, but that quick fix is exactly what God says don't do. So we have to be careful when we have those situations. We need to take time to pray and see what God has us to do in those situations. So they get down to Moab and their sons marry Moabite women. And soon after that, dad and the boys, they, they both die. They all die. And now it never tells us why that happened. And we may never know on this side why difficult situations happen. But as Romans 8, Romans 8.28 says, God turns even the worst case scenarios around for our good. The hardship causes Naomi and her two daughters-in-law to start back to Bethlehem because they heard that God was blessing there, but they were in a position that God wasn't blessing, and we said, you know, sometimes we have to be careful that we are in a position to receive God's blessings, and we use the phrase, are we blessable? Is our life a life that is blessable by God? So not that we're, we're not perfect, we're not sin-free, but your heart's desire is to be what God wants you to be. And, I, and the only thing I can think about that is, for those of you who have kids in elementary school or in, in high school, and you have one son that does, they, they bust themselves, they kill themselves, and they do everything they can do, and they come home with a C. As opposed to the, the one who doesn't do anything and still comes home with a C. The one who really does everything that's possible and still comes home with a C, aren't you really proud of what they did? They accomplished it. They did their best, and you know that. And you know that their heart was in it. Same outcome, but different heart attitudes going in. So when we say that God wants us to be blessable, it's not that we're perfect or sin-free because none of us are, but we, are we in a position that we're doing our best to honor God? So Naomi tries to talk her two daughters-in-law to stay in Moab. Orpah stays, and Ruth signs on to, to make the trip. Now, that sounds like a, a simple decision, right? But remember what it took for her to make that choice. She had to leave everything behind. Everything she was comfortable with, everything she knew, she had to make that, that leap of faith. And the most important thing is she had to believe that God was going to be her God. That was her statement to Naomi. Where you go, I'll go. Your God will be my God. And she had to have the faith to believe that God would be her God. And remember, she was Moabite, so God says, no Moabite can ever be a part of Israel. So what was she doing? She, she was doing what we have to do every day. She was trusting in God's grace and mercy. The law says you can't come in. God's mercy and God's blessing says you can. Romans 3.20 says, therefore no one will be declared righteous in the sight by observing the law. In other words, she couldn't earn her way back into Bethlehem. She was already mowed by nothing she can do to change that. What could, she, what could she do to allow herself to be welcomed in? She's a poor widow with nothing. She couldn't do anything. She leaned upon 
the goodness and grace of God. We sang that song, The Goodness of God, this morning. And you look at that, man, how good has God been to us? Just like she couldn't earn her way into heaven and into Bethlehem, neither can we just work our way into heaven without faith. God's grace included her and God's grace will include us through the same faith. Ephesians 2, 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourself. It makes it a point to point that out. It's a gift of God, not by work, so that nobody can boast because we would boast about what we do. Every time you do something great, you want people to take notice. And God says none of that works. It's simply trusting that God was going to be a gracious God is what she needed and is what we need every day. And for her, that was a daring move because she had no idea what the people that she was going to would say. She was going to Israel, and Israel didn't like Moabites, and she was coming into their, into their group. She didn't worry about what people were going to say because, more importantly, she trusted God to protect her in that situation. And I thought, it's how, how much more does that apply to us? that we really can't worry about what people may think or say because we trust God. And a lot of times in our trust of God, it makes us sound crazy, for lack of a better term. When the, when the world looks at us and what we do according to God's word and the things we make our stand on and the things we acknowledge is true, the world thinks we're crazy. But we can't worry about what they think. We have to continue to do what God tells us to do. So she takes this leap of faith and she continues on the trip, verse 19. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Now the word stirred here, I'm not sure what version you have. That's the NIV. The word stirred actually means echoed with excitement. And it appears from this reaction that people really, were really, really excited to see her. Hey, Naomi, we're glad you're back. Man, it's been 10 years. So that tells me she was probably pretty well known in the community, or at least from the women, because those who are the ones that greeted her. They were happy and excited to see her. And they even recognized her after 10 years. Now, you'll see later on that her countenance had changed drastically. She left full, the Bible says, and she came back bitter. So you know that that has an effect on our physical appearance. Now to be gone for 10 years and people are still excited to see you, let alone remember who you are, that kind of tells me what kind of a person she was in that community. And I can, it's safe to assume that she was probably pretty well loved where she was. For her, her friends to be excited to see her, she's been gone 10 years, man, we're so glad to have you back. Her name, Naomi, actually means pleasant. So she was probably very pleasant and easygoing. And that's what brought her many friends. But notice how she comes back in verse 20. She says, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. She says, call me Mar, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. And the word Mar means bitter. A few things about that verse. We mentioned that she left pleasant. She left happy, excited, and she returns bitter and discouraged. The person she was when she left is gone. She's now a bitter, older woman. 
I take from that whenever we leave God to pursue things in the world that we think will make us better, ultimately, when we leave God, it makes us bitter and discouraged. Now, a lot of things that happen to her, granted, her husband dies, her two boys die, and we have no idea why that happened. Was it a direct result of them leaving? One commentary says that because they were Jewish and they were mowed by territory, they were killed. That's one commentary. The Bible doesn't say, so we can't be dogmatic on that. Was it just in the course of life? Did they have an accident working where they was Elimelech just an older guy and he just passed away? It doesn't tell us. But we do know that because she was away from God, she allowed the situations in her life to overwhelm her faith and trust and she became bitter at her circumstances. The second thing we know is that she blamed God for it. Verse 21. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on, upon me. You ever vent to God? You ever? God. <laughs> the funny thing is, even if we put on a great face and we appear all nice and happy, but we're angry at God inside, do you think God knows that? Do you think God knows your heart, right? And sometimes it's, and God's not, God's not gonna be shocked if you say it to him. And a lot of times just venting it makes you feel better. I gotta get it off my chest. Well, she wasn't the only one who did that. Job did it in Job 19 verse seven. Though I cry I've been wronged, I get no response. Though I call for help, there's no justice. He has blocked my way so I cannot pass. He has shrouded my paths in darkness. He has stripped me of my humor or my honor and removed the crown from my head. David did it too in Psalm 142. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. Before him I tell my trouble. In Psalm 88, the sons of Korah did the same thing. Verse six, you have put me in the lowest pit in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken me from my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. So if those guys did it, I would venture to say that at one time or another, we have probably done it as well. When things didn't go the way we thought they would go, when God didn't particularly answer the prayer we wanted to answer, when things seemed to be going south, the easiest thing to do is to blame God for it, is to get mad at God. One commentary says it this way, God doesn't want your right answers. He wants your heart. And even if you're mad at God, he wants to know it. He knows it, he wants you to tell him. You ever do that with your kids? Your kids walk around with this solemn look on their face and you know they're mad at something. What are you mad at? Nothing. Come on. Or husband and wife, what are you mad at? <laughs> Nothing. And you know that they're mad at something. And so if you're, not in, if you're not smart with your spouse, you pick at them until they explode and they tell you. Because you know they're mad at you for something and they just don't want to say it. And they keep, you keep picking at them and picking at them until they say, okay, fine. This is why I'm mad. And you know what? You're big enough to take it, right? Your kids, when they do it, you're big enough to take it. 
And even in because she's venting, God's still working out a plan for her to bless her. But she doesn't know it. And I thought about that and I thought, you know what? God is working out something in each one of our lives. But we don't know it yet. We don't see the end result yet. And we'll begin to see that he will bring blessings to Naomi through the least likely source, Ruth. Ruth was the one that God says, you can't come in, you can't be a part of our group. You can't marry them, you can't bring them in, they can't be in the temple. That's who God uses to bless Naomi. When God works in our life, he will do it through the least expected way. If we know how God's gonna work and we expect him to work a certain way, then it doesn't require faith. And you ever, you ever try to tell God how to do something? Lord, I'm praying for this person to get saved, so if you would do this for them and that for them and this and that and all the other, then I know they'll get saved. You're basically telling God how to get that person to know him. As opposed to, Lord, I don't know how you're gonna do it. You want them to know Christ? You want them to come to a relationship with Christ? I have no idea how you're gonna do that. But I trust you to do it. God, I I believe that you're gonna bless me. I believe that you're gonna work something out in my life. I have no idea how you're gonna do it. But I trust that you will. Verse 22, say, so Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. And that's the end of chapter one. Now, look at what we've went through in just 22 verses. They left, the kids got married, they stayed there 10 years, they came back quickly. That was like one chapter. Why? Because I think the author was more interested in what God was going to do than what God did to bring him to this point. Now my wife will attest to this. If we're watching a movie or I'm trying to tell her a story, I will tell a long, long story, setting it up so she understands what's going on. And what does she say to me? Get to the point. I don't need to know the backstory. I don't need to know. Just tell me what the point is. And I think that's what the author is doing here. Yeah, we get it. A lot of stuff happened. Get to the point. God, what do you want to show us in this story? We know that there was a lot of bad stuff happening. We know how they got here. And the next three chapters tells us what's going to happen. We know the backstory. We don't have to go into details, yada, yada, yada. We're, we're, okay, we're now at the point where God picks it up. You may have been in a situation that you've been in for a lot of years. God doesn't want you to focus on what's in the back. But what can God do to reverse it? What did Paul say? I, I, putting all those things behind, I press on. And that could be good things and that could be bad things. But God says, they're all in the past. Can't change them. And if you focus on them, you're going to stay there. Move forward. God wants to move forward, and we focus on what God can do with the situation we're in now, regardless of how we got there. How many of you ever put yourself in a bad situation and prayed for God to get you out of it? (laughs) Come on. (laughs) You make decisions, you make choices, and you wind up, "Ah, those were dumb choices, I shouldn't have got here. 
Lord, help me get out of here. What can God do to reverse that? And I can tell you from experience that out of the blue, God can do it. He'll do something that you least expect. You don't, you don't even see it coming. And God can still do it. I'll, I'll give an example. I, I may have told this story before. I don't know. My kids are probably sick of hearing it. But way back in the day when we only had two kids, we, had a, we bought a brand new Nissan van. Without thinking about it, without praying about it, we, not, we, had, a, we had a Maxima, and we were crowded on our way to Florida. It was just no room. We've got to get a van. We've got to get a van. So we run home, instantly buy a van. No praying for it. This was like 87, 88. So we buy this van. And from the day we drove it off the lot, it was a money pit piece of garbage. <laughs> and yet we still owed on it forever. It was always being recalled. It was always overheating. It was always in the shop. It was always leaving us stranded. We were coming back from Florida once, and we luckily, or blessed we were almost home, the manifold cracked, and the pipe came off. So it sounded like a, no exhaust on it at all. <laughs> so we were able to drive the next three or four miles home, and long story short, I know too late, but it was terrible. And we thought... It's got a million miles on it now. I still owe on it. God help us. So I get another recall letter in the mail because it was recalled a number of times. But this time it says, because it's going to cost more to repair your van than it's worth, we're going to buy it back from you. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> and it, they took off all the payments and they actually gave us money for it. So, you know, who saw that coming? Because we made a decision that we probably should have prayed about and did a little research on before we bought this thing. But God can do things and get you out of situations that you may even cause yourself. Verse 22. Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is the beginning of God's providential plan that God has already set up. He knew what he's going to do, and now you begin to see it. Naomi and Ruth were being given a second chance. How many are glad for second chances? <laughs> that God wipes that slate clean and get a second chance. Now, do you think it was a coincidence they got there at just the right time? You know what the definition of coincidence is? A coincidence is where God chooses to remain anonymous. If you read the Old Testament laws about the harvest, you get a better view of how it's perceived in that time. Now, those of you who know, I can't grow anything. Plants come to our house to die. So when I want veggies, I go to Giant. Or Wise or whatever. There's no way I'm growing anything to feed our family. So I go to Giant. And a lot of you do the same thing. But back then, no Giant. No wise. If you didn't grow it, you didn't eat. And so when they got there at the beginning of the harvest season, the planting time was done. It was now time to get the food. 
No coincidence that they got there exactly the beginning of the harvest because that's when you see what God does through the harvest and he uses the harvest to bless them. Harvest time was a time of celebration and joy and praise to God. It's also the beginning of spring, which is the time of new life and a new beginning. They were given a new start. When you come to Christ, you're given a new start. Past is gone. Hallelujah for that. And Ruth's working through the harvest is what God uses to bring about the blessing. Now we're in chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. Now, you, if you know the Old Testament law, you know about the law of having to be redeemed by a, a relative. So, it just so happens that they arrive at the beginning of spring. And it just so happens they arrive at the harvest time. And it just so happens that she has a relative on her dead husband's side. And it just so happens that he's a man of standing. And you might see a pattern emerging here. Or do we see just a whole lot of coincidences? How many of you, if you've lived long enough, you look back in your life and you, you see things that at the time you thought were coincidences, but you saw them all lining up to bring you to where you are today? You know, I've said this on a Wednesday night class. We all have pasts that we wish we could change but we are the sum of our past. Who we are now is because of what's, whatever's happened, good or bad. And if you're a fan of time travel, like I am, you know what would happen if you go back and change one little thing. Your entire life may change. And what you have now, the blessings you may have now, you may not have if you change one little thing. So God uses all those things providentially to bring you where you are today. And if you look back on it, you see where every little thing that you thought was just a, a coincidence, God was kind of lining the dots up to bring you where you are today. I'll give you another example, and I've probably said this many times. When we left our home church to go to Florida, just a, just a coincidence, you know, we felt God was leading us to Florida. We didn't, had no idea why. Moved to Florida. And just so happened, my brother needed an accountant for his company. So I did that. And it just so happened that while we were there, my mother got diagnosed with leukemia. And it just so happened that I was able to talk to her and pray with her before she passed away. And I'll go into a little detail about that because we would go down and visit her in hospice for every night. My brothers and I would go down and talk and visit. And it was hard to talk to her because there's always people there. And so one, I think it was a Thursday, we were home, and I said to Anna, I said, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go down tonight. I'll just go down tomorrow. There's always too many people there. And I thought about it for a while, and I, I said, you know, I just feel i got to go down. And so I go down, and there's nobody there. And so I got to talk with my mom for a good long time, and I got to pray with her to lead her to the Lord just before she passed away. All of that providentially God set up. So when you don't think that God's working, God's still working. Verse two, and Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. 
Now, if you know the Old Testament laws, farmers were told by God to leave some stuff on the field. Don't be greedy. Don't go back and pick it up. Don't you know, strip the place. Leave the food for the wid- widows and orphans. Leviticus 19.9 says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over a vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. So coincidence, it just happens to be the law. And coincidence, they arrive at the time of the harvest and coincidence that she's able to go out and glean. Do you see God's providence in each situation? And and another thing about God's providence, you may step out of God's providence for a minute, but God can still bring that around. How many know that? You know, think about this. Suppose your child really wants to please you and they're doing their best to to honor you, Little, little kid. And they're doing their best, and, but somehow in the process, they mess something up. Don't you love them anyways? And don't you do what you can to bring them back? Here's where you messed up. Let me tell you how to get it right. You know their heart was in it. You know they were trying to do it right, but they just, they just messed up. I remember when I was a kid, well, kid, I was probably 12 or 13, we were stirring up paint cans. So you probably know where this is going. My dad had this drill that was 2,000 RPM, not variable speed, just 2,000 RPM. So I took a a 10-penny nail, and I bent it 90 degrees, and put it in the drill, and put that drill in this little paint can. Anybody see? (laughs) And the paint can went all over the room, and paint went everywhere. And I thought, well, this is my last day on Earth. But Dad was gracious. He realized that I was just trying to help. He didn't kill me. <laughs> Did have to clean up a little bit. But the point was, even though I messed up, he saw that my heart was in it, and he brought me back. So if you step out of God's will for a moment and you realize, I kind of messed up, I shouldn't have done that, God's going to bring you back. So at this point, Naomi's still a little bit bitter. She wasn't yet open to what God was doing. But Ruth was. Ruth was willing to let God work in her. A lot of times we have to be careful where we are attitude-wise because God can't work in a bitter heart. God wants our heart to be open, and we have to let go of some things to do that. She must have known a little bit about the Jewish law by gleaning because she asked, hey, can I go glean? but probably not enough to know that God commanded it or, or that she knew she'd be okay doing it. Or maybe she just didn't simply trust the landowners to, get, to let this woman, this Moabite woman, glean. But whatever the case, however she thought might go wrong, she trusted God to protect her while she was doing it and provide for her while she was doing it. Now notice how the author refers to her. In chapter one, she is referred to as Ruth. In chapter 2, she is referred to as Ruth the Moabitess. And what that's doing, that is reminding everyone the difficulty she's going to have in Bethlehem because of her background. In other words, there's something in her past that might make it difficult for her, and it's something that she cannot change. 
There's a whole sermon in that verse right there. How many of us have things in our past that make life more difficult for us now? And we would like to change, but we can't. There's a thousand things I'd like to change, but we can't. Her past has no significance on what God is planning for her now. Notice that. Doesn't matter what her past is. Doesn't matter if she's a Moabite. Doesn't matter that God says no. God's grace is canceling her past and is going to have no significance on what God wants to do today. In other words, God, whatever you did in your past, God can use you today regardless of what that might be. Your past should have no significance on what God wants for you. If you trust him. Another reason she might not have trusted them is her phrase, verse two, again, pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Now, obviously, being a Moabite, her past was, could possibly be a stumbling block for her or for others. They may look at her with disdain. They may look and say, oh, she's a Moabite. She can't be here. Or they may look at her, hey, she's a lone woman. Not, not good for her. All we probably have, we always have, probably have things that we don't want anyone to know about us because if they knew, we might be treated differently. How many of you have a past that you don't want anybody to know? Well, good thing is God already knows it. And God's not going to hold that against you. God knows all of your past, and which is amazing to me, God knows your future. And I've said this before. You know, God, yeah, God saved me from my sins way back up in 1230, but he, he did it knowing that I would still mess up beyond that. He still picked me, even though he knew I was going to blow it. When you confess your sins to God and you get saved, God forgets your past. But he also knows every single time you're going to blow it, and he still chooses you. The Bible says, one of my favorite verses, Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. God looked at your life and says, you know what? That's the guy, that's the girl I want. I know they're going to blow it a thousand times in the first year, and I still want them. I don't care what their past is. I don't care what they're going to do in the future. I know that I can use them, and I want them. That's how it was with Ruth. Verse 2 and 3 says, Naomi says, Go ahead, my daughter. She went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Another coincidence. Out of all the fields in Bethlehem and all the farmers, she gets the one field that has a relative. A Latin proverb says this, providence assists not the idle. In other words, I've mentioned this before, God can direct someone who is already moving easier than he can direct someone sitting still. If she sat home waiting for God to do something providentially without her doing anything, nothing would have happened. But she says, well, you know, I'll take the first step. I know God's going to bless me. God's going to meet me. I'm going to go out and glean. And maybe when I'm there, God can do something. It's like looking for a job. If you sit at home waiting for a job to happen, it's not going to happen. Well, you used to knock on doors. Now you go online to find a job. But unless you do that, chances are pretty good no one's going to call you out of the blue to offer you a job. I said this before. It's easier to steer a car that's moving than one that's standing still. 
God's easier, it's easier for God to direct you as you're serving him into different, in, different situations. Just like going out to glean was an act of faith on Ruth's part, she trusted God to send her to a place where she could glean and a place that would be safe for her. So now the stage is set. Ruth left what's comfortable to follow God. She arrives in Bethlehem, an outsider with a lot of baggage behind her. And she steps out in faith, trusting that God would provide for her and protect her. Through a series of coincidences, God is setting up her not only to be blessed, but to be a blessing to others. And I thought each of us is on the same similar path. Maybe different positions on the path, but we're all in the same type of situation. God has a plan for each one of us. We've all heard that all of our Christian life. God loves you, has a plan for your life. Well, he does. We don't know it. We won't even know when we're on it. But that providence, God directs you to where he knows you need to be and where you can be blessed and be a blessing to other people. Maybe you're considering leaving what's comfortable because you know that God's drawing you away. How many feel that? You're comfortable where you are. We were comfortable at our home church. We were comfortable. It was great. We were there for probably 20 years. And it was tough moving. Didn't, exciting on one point, but didn't really want to go. Left a lot of friends. Needed to make the leap. What's God calling you to change, to step out and do something that you really feel God's calling you to do, you just don't, you don't want to leave your comfort zone. Maybe you're just a, a new believer, but you've got a lot of stuff from your past that still the enemy tries to keep you down with. What's the difference between conviction and condemnation? Conviction is when the Holy Spirit shows you that you're doing wrong in order to get you to ask for forgiveness. Once you ask sincerely for God to forgive you, the Bible says God forgets it. Anything after that, any kind of guilt you feel after that is condemnation from the enemy. The Bible says there is now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. So if you blew it and you sincerely ask God to forgive you, the Bible says clean, gone. I choose to forget it, throw it in the sea of forgetfulness, gone. The enemy is the one that's gonna keep bringing it back to your mind, thinking that you blew it, you'll never be anything, God can't use you. That's the enemy, that's condemnation. And the enemy loves to do that to not only new believers, but everybody. Especially a new believer, you come in with a lot of baggage and the enemy is gonna keep beating you up with it. But the Bible says, it's all gone. Anything you feel, any kind of guilt you feel, just say the enemy, he's gone. It's all forgiven. My life is brand new. The Bible says you're a new believer. Your, your life is new when you came to know Christ. In other words, you can't let your past stop you from what God is doing today. God can and will use you in spite and maybe because of your past. What's the best person to, to counsel someone who's going through cancer? Someone who's been through cancer. Maybe you, had a, you lost your job and you're struggling with your job and who better to counsel someone than someone who's been through that? God will use what the enemy meant for evil and he will turn it around and use it for good. People who were in Teen Challenge, the leaders in Teen Challenge and the leaders in New Life for girls, 
were all former students. God saved them, God delivered them, and who better to understand those that are coming into the program than someone who's been there? So God, not only does God use you in spite of your past, God can use your past to bring good things to light. Well, maybe you've been a Christian long enough and you're not letting your baggage hold you back, but you need some help stepping out in faith. You, you need to, you know, I know I need to step out and do something for God, and I just, I, 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 I'm fearful. I don't know if I'm going to fail. How many know it's okay to fail? How many know failing is not a sin? Attempting something for God and failing is not a sin. When I was ordained, the, the preacher, the guy was preaching, he said, uh, if I can get it right, he said, I'd rather see you young preachers fail at a thousand things for God than not trying anything for God. You have to learn to step out. And if you fail, you fail. But at least you try something for God. And the next time you'll do a little bit better, you do a little bit differently. Listen to other Christians who have experienced the same thing and let them help you. Those who have really stepped out and done tremendous things for God. Tell me how you did it. Tell me what it felt like to do that. Did you have, you know, were you fearful? Yeah, I was fearful. But I just stepped out anyways. Maybe you're stepped out in faith and you're at the beginning of the gleaning phrase but you haven't seen the blessing yet. You haven't been, you're, you're doing what God told you to do. You're stepping out in faith but you haven't seen anything yet. Don't quit. If God brought you to that point, he's not gonna leave you at that point. Not gonna leave you hanging. When I was going through Bible college, it seemed like it would take forever to finish. Because I was married, couple of kids, job, never gonna finish. And I remember one night reading, God burned this verse in my mind, Philippians 1.6. Be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Don't stop halfway through. Keep going. God will finish whatever he's doing in you. Whatever he's doing, he's gonna finish it in your life. In each of those cases, God's right with you. And he's working, what's the Bible say? Everything out for your good. No matter what it is. God will bring it around. That's the providence of God. That God can use even bad things to get you to where you need to be. Let me close with this. How many have had difficult situations come in your life and that caused you to press in a little bit more to God? Things are going good. I don't need to press in so much, but things go bad. Okay, Lord, I need, I need, need to talk to you. I need some help. God allows the situations to bring you closer. Would you stand as we close this morning? Would you close your eyes for a moment? Just bow your heads for a second. Probably I would say that each of us here is somewhere in one of those places. Either we're a new believer, a relatively new believer, and we're just, we're struggling with what we did in the past or even what happened to us in the past. The Bible says you can't stay there. 
You can't change it. But God will help you through it. And God will in turn use that to make you even stronger. Maybe you're struggling with something that you've done recently as a believer. And you think because of that, God can't use me. Well, again, that's the enemy. Because the minute that God can't use you is the minute you go to see him. Or maybe you're afraid to step out in faith. You want to do something great for God, you just don't know what it is. Or maybe you know what it is and you're just afraid to do it. Moses was that way. Prophets were that way. Peter was that way. So it's okay, God gets it. But we want to get to the point where God says, okay, enough training, step out and watch what I can accomplish. It wasn't until Moses put his feet in the, in the raging water before it parted. He had to get into that river and risk being swept away by the water before God actually parted it. it took a risk. Stepping out in faith is a risk. Letting go of your past is a risk. Doing what God called you to do is always a risk. But I can tell you from firsthand experience that it's always worth the risk. And maybe you're here today, you've never really taken that step. You've heard about Christ all your life, or you've been in church a lot of your life. And you still haven't made that step of faith to trust him with your eternity. Well, that's why you're here. The Bible says that Jesus is at the door of your heart. He's knocking. He wants a relationship with you. But it's up to you. If you want to have that type of relationship, you don't have it now. Or maybe you had it years ago and you lost it. But you want to come back. You want to really experience the blessing of God. You want to experience the power of God in your life. And you want to experience joy even when situations aren't perfect in your life. All of that comes with the relationship with Christ. So if that's you, I want to pray with you this morning. Would you raise your hand if you want to come to know Christ personally? All right, I'm going to assume that all of us here are committed followers of Christ. And whatever path you are, whatever position you are in that path that God's leading you to, I'm going to pray for each one of you. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that your providence, your will, your power supersedes anything that may happen to us or even things that we do. Because your will, your providence will bring us around to where you want us to be. And I pray for each person that's here that, God, you would fill them with your spirit. I pray that you would give them confidence. And I pray that, God, they would begin to see the results of them stepping out in faith, them trusting you, and then moving forward, leaving the baggage behind. I pray that you would anoint them and bless them. And I pray that they would see the, and experience the power of God in their life every day. Not just Sunday, but every day, Lord. We want the power and the presence of Christ in our life to give us wisdom and direction and encouragement 
Father, I pray you would just pour your Holy Spirit upon each person here. Allow them to firsthand know what it's like to know you personally. A lot of us can know you in, in their head. But Father, we want each one of us to know you in our hearts. So Lord, I pray your blessings upon each person here. Allow them to leave really changed by what you said. Not because I said anything, but what your word tells them is true. Because that's the only thing that can transform them is the power and the truth in your word. So Lord, I commit each person to you. Fill them and use them and allow them to see great miracles happen because they simply trusted you. So Father, I commit each person to you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. 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 Have a great week. See you Wednesday night.